Chapter Four of Arthur Mervyn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Arthur Mervyn by Charles Brockton Brown. Chapter Four. We arrived at a brick wall through which we passed by a gate into an extensive court or yard. The darkness would allow me to see nothing but outlines. Compared with the pygmy dimensions of my father's wooden hovel, the buildings before me were of gigantic loftiness. The horses were here far more magnificently accommodated than I had been. By a large door we entered an elevated hall. Stay here, said he, just a while while I fetch a light. He returned bearing a candle before I had time to ponder on my present situation. We now ascended a staircase covered with painted canvas. No one whose inexperience is less than mine can imagine to himself the impressions made upon me by surrounding objects. The height to which this stair ascended, its dimensions and its ornaments appeared to me a combination of all that was pompous and superb. We stopped not till we had reached the third story. Here my companion unlocked and led the way into a chamber. This, he said, is my room. Permit me to welcome you into it. I had no time to examine this room before, by some accident, the candle was extinguished. Curse upon my carelessness, said he. I must go down and light the candle. I will return in a twinkling. Meanwhile, you may undress yourself and go to bed. He went out, and as I afterwards recollected, locked the door behind him. I was not indisposed to follow his advice, but my curiosity would first be gratified by a survey of the room. Its height and spaciousness were imperfectly discernible by starlight and by gleams from a street lamp. The floor was covered with a carpet, the walls with brilliant hangings, the bed and windows were shrouded by curtains of a rich texture and glossy hues. Hitherto I had merely read of these things. I knew them to be the decorations of opulence, and yet, as I viewed them and remembered where and what I was on the same hour the preceding day, I could scarcely believe myself awake, or that my senses were not beguiled by some spell. Where, said I, will this adventure terminate? I rise on the morrow with the dawn and speed into the country. When this night is remembered, how like a vision it will appear! If I tell the tale by a kitchen fire, my veracity will be disputed. I shall be ranked with the story-tellers of Shiraz and Baghdad. Though busied in these reflections, I was not inattentive to the progress of time. Methought my companion was remarkably dilatory. He went merely to relight his candle, but certainly he might during this time have performed the operation ten times over. Some unforeseen accident might occasion his delay. Another interval passed, and no tokens of his coming. I began now to grow uneasy. I was unable to account for his detention. Was not some treachery designed? I went to the door and found that it was locked. This heightened my suspicions. I was alone, a stranger, in an upper room of the house. Should my conductor have disappeared by design or by accident, and some one of the family should find me here, what would be the consequence? Should I not be arrested as a thief and conveyed to prison? My transition from the street to this chamber 
would not be more rapid than my passage hence to a jail. These ideas struck me with panic. I revolved them anew, but they only acquired greater plausibility. No doubt I had been the victim of malicious artifice. Inclination, however, conjured up opposite sentiments, and my fears began to subside. What motive, I asked, could induce a human being to inflict wanton injury? I could not account for his delay, but how numberless were the contingencies that might occasion it. I was somewhat comforted by these reflections, but the consolation they afforded was short-lived. I was listening with the utmost eagerness to catch the sound of a foot, when a noise was indeed heard, but totally unlike a step. It was human breath struggling, as it were, for passage. On the first effort of attention it appeared like a groan. Whence it arose I could not tell. He that uttered it was near, perhaps, in the room. Presently the same noise was heard again, and now I perceived that it came from the bed. It was accompanied with a motion like someone changing his posture. What I at first conceived to be a groan appeared now to be nothing more than the expiration of a sleeping man. What should I infer from this incident? My companion did not apprise me that the apartment was inhabited. Was his imposture a jestful or a wicked one? There was no need to deliberate. There were no means of concealment or escape. The person would some time awaken and detect me. The interval would only be fraught with agony, and it was wise to shorten it. Should I not withdraw the curtain, awake the person, and encounter at once all the consequences of my situation? I glided softly to the bed. When the thought occurred, may not the sleeper be a female? I cannot describe the mixture of dread and of shame which glowed in my veins. The light in which such a visitant would be probably regarded by a woman's fears, the precipitate alarms that might be given, the injury which I might unknowingly inflict or undeservedly suffer, threw my thoughts into painful confusion. My presence might pollute a spotless reputation, or furnish fuel to jealousy. Still, though it were a female, would not less injury be done by gently interrupting her slumber? But the question of sex still remained to be decided. For this end I once more approached the bed and drew aside the silk. The sleeper was a babe. This I discovered by the glimmer of a street lamp. Part of my solicitudes were now removed. It was plain that this chamber belonged to a nurse or a mother. She had not yet come to bed. Perhaps it was a married pair, and their approach might be momently expected. I pictured to myself their entrance and my own detection. I could imagine no consequence that was not disastrous and horrible, and from which I would not at any price escape. I again examined the door and found that exit by this avenue was impossible. There were other doors in this room. Any practicable expedient in this extremity was to be pursued. One of these was bolted. I unfastened it and found a considerable space within. Should I immure myself in this closet? I saw no benefit that would finally result from it. I discovered that there was a bolt on the inside which would somewhat contribute to security. 
This being drawn, no one could enter without breaking the door. I had scarcely paused when the long-expected sound of footsteps was heard in the entry. Was it my companion or a stranger? If it were the latter, I had not yet mustered courage sufficient to meet him. I cannot applaud the magnanimity of my proceeding, but no one can expect intrepid or judicious measures from one in my circumstances. I stepped into the closet and closed the door. Someone immediately after unlocked the chamber door. He was unattended with a light. The footsteps, as they moved along the carpet, could scarcely be heard. I waited impatiently for some token by which I might be governed. I put my ear to the keyhole, and at length heard a voice, but not that of my companion, exclaim, somewhat above a whisper, "'Smiling cherub, safe and sound, I see. Would to God my experiment may succeed, and that thou mayest find a mother where I have found a wife.' There he stopped. He appeared to kiss the babe, and, presently retiring, locked the door after him. These words were capable of no consistent meaning. They served at least to assure me that I had been treacherously dealt with. This chamber, it was manifest, did not belong to my companion. I put up prayers to my deity that he would deliver me from these toils. What a condition was mine! Immersed in palpable darkness, shut up in this unknown recess, lurking like a robber! My meditations were disturbed by new sounds. The door was unlocked. More than one person entered the apartment, and light streamed through the keyhole. I looked, but the aperture was too small, and the figures passed too quickly to permit me the sight of them. I bent my ear, and this imparted some more authentic information. The man, as I judged by the voice, was the same who had just departed. Rustling of silk denoted his companion to be a female. Some words being uttered by the man, in too low a key to be overheard, the lady burst into a passion of tears. He strove to comfort her by soothing tones and tender appellations. "'How can it be helped?' said he. "'It is time to resume your courage. Your duty to yourself and to me requires you to subdue this unreasonable grief.' He spoke frequently in this strain, but all he said seemed to have little influence in pacifying the lady. At length, however, her sobs began to lessen in vehemence and frequency. He exhorted her to seek for some repose. Apparently she prepared to comply, and conversation was for a few moments intermitted. I could not but advert to the possibility that some occasion to examine the closet in which I was immured might occur. I knew not in what manner to demean myself if this should take place. I had no option at present. By withdrawing myself from view I had lost the privilege of an upright deportment. Yet the thought of spending the night in this spot was not to be endured. Gradually I began to view the project of bursting from the closet and trusting to the energy of truth and of an artless tale, with more complacency. More than once my hand was placed upon the bolt, but withdrawn by a sudden faltering of resolution. When one attempt failed, I recurred once more to such reflections as were adapted to renew my purpose. I preconcerted the address which I should use. 
I resolved to be perfectly explicit, to withhold no particular of my adventures from the moment of my arrival. My description must necessarily suit some person within their knowledge. All I should want was liberty to depart, but if this were not allowed, I might at least hope to escape any ill-treatment, and to be confronted with my betrayer. In that case I did not fear to make him the attester of my innocence. Influenced by these considerations, I once more touched the lock. At that moment the lady shrieked and exclaimed, "'Good God! What is here?' An interesting conversation ensued. The object that excited her astonishment was the child. I collected from what passed that the discovery was wholly unexpected by her. Her husband acted as if equally unaware of this event. He joined in all her exclamations of wonder and all her wild conjectures. When these were somewhat exhausted, he artfully insinuated the propriety of bestowing care upon the little foundling. I now found that her grief had been occasioned by the recent loss of her own offspring. She was for some time averse to her husband's proposal, but at length was persuaded to take the babe to her bosom and give it nourishment. This incident had diverted my mind from its favorite project, and filled me with speculations on the nature of the scene. One explication was obvious that the husband was the parent of this child, and had used this singular expedient to procure for it the maternal protection of his wife. It would soon claim from her all the fondness which she entertained for her own progeny. No suspicion probably had yet, or would hereafter, occur with regard to its true parent. If her character be distinguished by the usual attributes of women, the knowledge of this truth may convert her love into hatred. I reflected with amazement on the slightness of that thread by which human passions are led from their true direction. With no less amazement did I remark the complexity of incidents by which I had been empowered to communicate to her this truth. How baseless are the structures of falsehood which we build in opposition to the system of eternal nature! If I should escape undetected from this recess, it will be true that I never saw the face of either of these persons, yet I am acquainted with the most secret transaction of their lives." My own situation was now more critical than before. The lights were extinguished, and the parties had sought repose. To issue from the closet now would be imminently dangerous. My counsels were again at a stand, and my designs frustrated. Meanwhile the persons did not drop their discourse, and I thought myself justified in listening. Many facts of the most secret and momentous nature were alluded to. Some allusions were unintelligible. To others I was able to affix a plausible meaning, and some were palpable enough. Every word that was uttered on that occasion is indelibly imprinted on my memory. Perhaps the singularity of my circumstances, and my previous ignorance of what was passing in the world, contributed to render me a greedy listener." Most that was said I shall overlook, but one part of the conversation it will be necessary to repeat. A large company had assembled that evening at their house. They criticized the character and manners of several. 
At last the husband said, "'What think you of the nabob, especially when he talked about riches? How artfully he encourages the notion of his poverty! Yet not a soul believes him. I cannot for my part account for that scheme of his. I half suspect that his wealth flows from a bad source, since he is so studious of concealing it.' "'Perhaps, after all,' said the lady, "'you are mistaken as to his wealth.' "'Impossible!' exclaimed the other. "'Mark how he lives. Have I not seen his bank account? He deposits, since he has been here, amount to no less than half a million.' "'Heaven grant that it be so,' said the lady with a sigh. "'I shall think with less aversion of your scheme. If poor Tom's fortune be made, and he not the worse, or but little the worse on that account, I shall think it on the whole best.' "'That,' replied he, "'is what reconciles me to the scheme. "'To him thirty thousand are nothing.' "'But will he not suspect you of some hand in it?' "'How can he? "'Will I not appear to lose as well as himself? "'Tom is my brother, but who can be supposed to answer for a brother's integrity? "'But he cannot suspect either of us. "'Nothing less than a miracle can bring our plot to light. "'Besides, this man is not what he ought to be.' He will, some time or other, come out to be a grand impostor. He makes money by other arts than bargain and sale. He has found his way by some means to the Portuguese treasury. Here the conversation took a new direction, and after some time the silence of sleep ensued. Who, thought I, is this nabob who counts his dollars by half millions, and on whom it seems as if some fraud was intended to be practised. Amidst their wariness and subtlety, how little are they aware that their conversation has been overheard! By means as inscrutable as those which conducted me hither, I may hereafter be enabled to profit by this detection of a plot. But, meanwhile, what was I to do? How was I to effect my escape from this perilous asylum? After much reflection it occurred to me that to gain the street without exciting their notice was not utterly impossible. Sleep does not commonly end of itself unless at a certain period. What impediments were there between me and the liberty which I could not remove, and remove with so much caution as to escape notice? Motion and sound inevitably go together, but every sound is not attended to. The doors of the closet and the chamber did not creak upon their hinges. The latter might be locked. This I was able to ascertain only by experiment. If it were so, yet the key was probably in the lock and might be used without much noise. I waited till their slow and hoarser inspirations showed them to be both asleep. Just then, on changing my position, my head struck against some things which depended from the ceiling of the closet. They were implements of some kind, which rattled against each other in consequence of this unlucky blow. I was fearful lest this noise should alarm, as the closet was little distant from the bed. The breathing of one instantly ceased, and a motion was made as if the head were lifted from the pillow. This motion, which was made by the husband, awaked his companion, who exclaimed, "'What's the matter?' "'Something, I believe,' replied he, "'is in the closet. 
If I was not dreaming, I heard the pistols strike against each other as if someone was taking them down. This intimation was well suited to alarm the lady. She besought him to ascertain the matter. This, to my utter dismay, he at first consented to do, but presently observed that probably his ears had misinformed him. It was hardly possible that the sound proceeded from them. It might be a rat, or his own fancy might have fashioned it. It is not easy to describe my trepidations while this conference was holding. I saw how easily their slumber was disturbed. The obstacles to my escape were less surmountable than I had imagined. In a little time all was again still. I waited till the usual tokens of sleep were distinguishable. I once more resumed my attempt. The bolt was withdrawn with all possible slowness, but I could by no means prevent all sound. My state was full of inquietude and suspense, my attention being painfully divided between the bolt and the condition of the sleepers. The difficulty lay in giving that degree of force which was barely sufficient. Perhaps not less than fifteen minutes were consumed in this operation. At last it was happily effected, and the door was cautiously opened. Emerging as I did from utter darkness, the light admitted into three windows produced, to my eyes, a considerable illumination. Objects which, on my first entrance into this apartment, were invisible, were now clearly discerned. The bed was shrouded by curtains, yet I shrunk back into my covert, fearful of being seen. To facilitate my escape I put off my shoes. My mind was so full of objects of more urgent moment that the propriety of taking them along with me never occurred. I left them in the closet. I now glided across the apartment to the door. I was not a little discouraged by observing that the key was wanting. My whole hope depended on the omission to lock it. In my haste to ascertain this point, I made some noise which again roused one of the sleepers. He started and cried, "'Who is there?' I now regarded my case as desperate and detection as inevitable. My apprehensions rather than my caution kept me mute. I shrunk to the wall and waited in a kind of agony for the moment that should decide my fate. The lady was again roused. In answer to her inquiries, her husband said that someone, he believed, was at the door, but there was no danger of their entering, for he had locked it, and the key was in his pocket. My courage was completely annihilated by this piece of intelligence. My resources were now at an end. I could only remain in this spot till the morning light, which could be at no great distance, should discover me. My inexperience disabled me from estimating all the perils of my situation. Perhaps I had no more than temporary inconveniences to dread. My intention was innocent, and I had been betrayed into my present situation, not by my own wickedness, but by the wickedness of others. I was deeply impressed with the ambiguousness which would necessarily rest upon my motives and the scrutiny to which they would be subjected. I shuddered at the bare possibility of being ranked with thieves. These reflections again gave edge to my ingenuity in search of the means of escape. 
I had carefully attended to the circumstances of their entrance. Possibly the act of locking had been unnoticed. But was it not likewise possible that this person had been mistaken? The key was gone. Would this have been the case if the door were unlocked? My fears rather than hopes impelled me to make the experiment. I drew back the latch, and to my unspeakable joy the door opened. I passed through and explored my way to the staircase. I descended till I reached the bottom. I could not recollect with accuracy the position of the door leading into the court, but by carefully feeling along the wall with my hands I at length discovered it. It was fastened by several bolts and a lock. The bolts were easily withdrawn, but the key was removed. I knew not where it was deposited. I thought I had reached the threshold of liberty, but here was an impediment that threatened to be unsurmountable. But if the doors could not be passed, windows might be unbarred. I remembered that my companion had gone into a door on the left hand in search of a light. I searched for this door. Fortunately it was fastened only by a bolt. It admitted me into a room which I carefully explored till I reached a window. I will not dwell on my efforts to unbar this entrance. Suffice it to say that, after much exertion and frequent mistakes, I at length found my way into the yard, and thence passed into the court. End of chapter 4